Matt is going to talk to us today on plastics, weapons of mass destruction. Thanks everyone. Uh, yeah, so uh, look, I thought when, when I came up with the title, I thought, you know, can you said plastics, they're bad or, or something like that, but I thought I'd go for something very evocative. So, um, so we uh, weapons of mass destruction, and the reason I've kind of titled it that is because the whole thing about plastics is we're using a lot of them. Healthcare particularly uses a lot of plastics, and as I'll kind of demonstrate, we're using a lot more of them, and it's only going up. So that's one of the biggest issues about plastics. So I'll talk about some of the problems and some of the solutions. I'll also talk a little bit about voltage optimization, and you'll see that a lot of this has a kind of um, energy bent, and also uh, talk about the National Energy Action Plan, and so I always also like uh, acronyms as well. So um, with no further ado, so yeah, all right. Um, so why discuss plastics? Like, like I said, plastics don't buy and degrade. So as we produce these plastics, they basically enter the environment, and I'll kind of demonstrate why they don't buy and degrade. You should also eat, shouldn't eat plastics, um, but if you eat fish, particularly anything from the ocean, you probably are already, because they're entering the, the basically the food stream, and also because um, a lot of them, uh, plastics uniquely, well not uniquely, but have a capacity to basically absorb a lot of other pollutants that, that, that are found in the environment. And so what's happening is they also act as um, particularly if they enter the body, uh, act as endocrine disruptors, uh, neurotoxins, and also uh, potential, uh, potential carcinogens. So there's a number of issues with plastics that don't really um, come up that often. So, so, so why also discuss plastics? Well, the whole thing about it is I actually think plastics are our next large looming environmental catastrophe. I mean, the amount of plastic we're actually generating, and it can't really go anywhere, it actually just ends up primarily into the environment, which we also ingest. So I see it as a major issue, and they persist in the environment, and also there's not too many alternatives, or certainly we're not considering a lot of those alternatives. So just some scary statistics that you've also always got to throw into some of these presentations. So 95% of our plastic um, wrapping our uh, packaging ultimately doesn't doesn't go anywhere. This goes basically into landfill. Of the 14% that is collected, only five gets processed. Most of it, uh, that other proportion, also gets discarded during during sorting and processing. So we're really only getting five percent of that packaging back at all. Equally, about 8.8 .8 million tonnes of plastic goes into the ocean every year. So think of a dump truck tipping a, a load of plastic into the ocean every minute. And by 2030, that'll be two trucks every minute, and by 2050, four trucks. Currently, there's about one tonne of plastic for every two tonne of fish. That's likely to be a ratio of one to one by 2050. Equally, there's right now about 150 million tonnes of plastic floating in our oceans. So, you know, and I kind of wanted to give this a not a human face, a cetacean face, um, to what, what happens with plastics in the ocean particularly. So this grey whale obviously starved to death. And, and what happens with whales particularly is as they, they get close to starvation, they actually beach themselves. I guess they prefer to beach themselves and drown, I guess. So anyway, so increasingly there's a lot of occurrences of highly starved whales actually beaching themselves. And this is one example. And what happens is that they're ingesting large pieces of plastic that basically fill up their stomachs. 
And of course, a bit like a, a gastric band or a gastric balloon, it gives that sensation that they're full. And so they're not actually eating enough and they basically slowly starve to death. The other one is sperm whales actually confuse you know, the white translucent plastic bags as squid. And so they eat a lot of those and it blocks up their digestive tract and they also starve to death. So that kind of gives just an idea of what, what also happens to animals in the environment from, from our plastics. So a little bit of um, chemistry or you know, molecular chemistry. So you see the long uh, molecular chain behind me and the reason that um, plastics don't biodegrade, as I said, is because what they form is what's called long polymetric chains. And what it is is certain, certain substances called monomers have this ability to, to join up in very long chains. And what happens is because they create this massive long chain, it actually binds, they bind really tightly and it actually makes it very hard. It's almost like you can't find a crack to break open that, that molecule and break it down into its, its separate parts. And it makes it extremely stable. And that's the reason why plastics persist in the environment for so long. And they're quite unique in that capacity. A lot of other things, metals, um, uh, wood, etc., etc., aren't stable. So they actually break, those molecules break up quite, quite easily in paper, etc. So all those things you see in the environment that break up quite easily, it's because they don't have those strong chains. So th that's the issue. And so um, it makes it very hard to break down. And as you'll see, you've got that scale of the one to seven plastics. People think that that symbol that, that surrounds the number it actually means it's all recyclable. It doesn't actually, it just means that it's a grade of plastic. So that, that number one to seven is just stating which plastic it is. So one to six are generally what are called um, thermoplastics, and that means basically that they can be melted down. So technically they are kind of recyclable. They can be melted down and produced uh, or turned into something alternative. Thermoset plastics actually can't be recycled. So those are those really hard, rigid plastics. And the reason they can't because the temperature at which they decompose, and decompose is another nice way of saying basically burn, the temperature at which they burn is actually above the temperature at which they actually start to melt. So you can't actually do a lot with thermoset plastics. So they're, they're a prime candidate plastic for entering the environment. So as I've said, you know, um, some of the plastics also uh, are made up of uh, a combination of different types of plastic and the issue that makes it very difficult there is through these additives it actually means you can't separate them out into some of the plastic types that you can then recycle. So these composite plastics also make it almost impossible to be, to be recycled. They can be, they can be melted and, and, and changed in form but they can't actually form a feedstock to that process. So this is the issue. So a large amount of plastic isn't actually recycled. There's, and, and a lot of it's recycled, even if it's recycled, isn't used. So a lot of manufacturers don't actually take a lot of the recycled plastic. And part of that is because a lot of the issue with plastics is it actually changes the look and feel of a lot of plastic. So if you introduce recycled plastic, and I think you've seen it, you probably see it with um, recycled paper, you know, it's got little bits through it and it's, it's not perfectly white, it's not beautiful. 
That also happens to canisters made out of recycled plastic. You get you know, colours running through it and stuff like this. And it also fundamentally changes the physical properties of that plastic. But the whole thing about it, I was thinking about this the other day. When we get our pharmaceuticals turn up in plastic, you know, puddles or whatever, do we really care if it's got, you know, some, some colour through it or whatever? I mean, usually we take it out and then dispense it to patients. So ultimately, we don't really care as healthcare providers as long as it's safe. Do we really care about the presentation? So this is the bit where I, I sometimes get into a little bit of problem, uh, in, into a little bit of a, uh, trouble because basically um, a lot of plastic, um, pe people talk about recycling plastic quite a bit, but the whole thing about it is you're not really recycling your plastic. So, so the issue is with the biodegradable plastics is that um, ultimately they can't actually be decomposed by organisms. And so that actually creates a, an issue. So they're, they're not technically biodegradable. You can't leave them outside and they'll be broken down by, by organisms into natural elements. Most plastics will survive quite happily in the environment anywhere from 20 to 1,000 years. And the whole thing about it is we get, I guess we want to define what biodegradable is. I certainly think somewhere between 20 and 1,000 years really isn't biodegradable. So, so when people talk about that, they also talk about, you know, um, plastics aren't organic. Technically, everything is organic. It's derived from an organic source. But the whole thing is about plastics is they're synthesised. So you take oil, which occurs naturally in the environment, you synthesise it and you get plastics. So, so there are some bio, uh, plastics that truly biodegrade, but one of the issues with biodegradable plastics is the whole reason we use plastics is they're extremely stable. And so what you're doing is often to take it from a plastic that technically could biodegrade, like polyethylene, will actually fully degrade in the environment. But they introduce UV stabilisers into the, into the pet to actually stop it breaking down. So then it basically returns to a non-biodegradable plastic. So the other thing is um, a lot of the time when they term things are biodegradable, Basically, all they do is break down into very, very small part pieces of plastic called microplastics, which are readily taken up by organisms. So, you're actually what you're doing is you're just grinding it down into very small particles of plastic. You're not, it actually doesn't break down into you know things like carbon, nitrogen, whatever. It's not actually biodegradable. So, I think I want to skip one. Yeah. So, the other thing about it is, um, and we had this conversation a while actually at the last seminar about downcycling, about PVC. Now, St Vincent's was one, of the, one party to take up Baxter's offer to you know, uh, recycle PVC. The whole thing about it is you're not actually really recycling PVC because my concept of um, recycling is that you close the loop. So you take that feedstock or that waste and it becomes a feedstock to basically make the same product or very close. The whole thing about PVC and most plastics is that when you, when you heat them up particularly, they change molecular structure and you can't use them as a feedstock for the original. The other thing about Baxter and all producers, it's not just Baxter, um, is they obviously put their name on their product, they colour the PVC, they turn it a nice translucent beige colour 
and they also line it. Um, so the saline solution remains aseptic. And the trouble is with that, all those changes to that PVC, I mean, when you melt it down, those impurities fundamentally change the structure of that PVC. You can't use it to make saline bags anymore. Now, what happens is they send it to the guys who make hoses in Melbourne. They melt it down, they go, great. I don't have to go out and buy more PVC. But it's because it's a less, lesser grade. So they go make hoses, that's great. The hoses get old and either they go to the landfill or they get melted down again to make um, kids play area matting. And the trouble is with that, it gets worn away, becomes very small particles that end up in the environment. So you can see we're never really getting to a point where we're not taking from the environment because Baxter ultimately still goes and buys approximately 8 million PVC bags worth of plastic every year. So, so that's, that's the issue. So, all right, so the, the possible solution would be bioplastics. Now, bioplastics, people talk about bioplastics a lot. The other thing about it is, is kind of, it's, it's a bit of a misnomer. A lot of people, particularly in, the, in society, kind of confuse, and they do it on purpose, is this whole thing, oh, we produce this bioplastic as if some way that's more environmentally friendly. In some ways it is because they take, sometimes they take the feedstock from a renewable source, say, you know, starch or, you know, amino acids or whatever it might be, and produce these plastics. The only issue is that, um, for instance, you know, PLA and a, a number of the other bioplastics aren't technically biodegradable. So you produce this from a renewable source to produce a plastic that isn't biodegradable. So really what we need to be doing is doing both. We need to take from a renewable source and produce a plastic that really will biodegrade. The only issue is it can make the plastics difficult to use, particularly in healthcare and a whole bunch of other areas. So really what we need to be doing is applying a lot more R&D to producing plastics that do both and are suitable for use. So, all right, so like I said, you know, there are solutions. This is the issue. I, I, it's not all doom and gloom. I, I just think we need to be doing more and thinking more about plastic. So, you know, obviously substitution, and, and we, we had this discussion earlier about actually bringing back things that are truly recyclable, you know, metals, glass. Glass and metal disappeared from healthcare, you know, quite a while ago. I, you know, and there's, there's been a lot of effort by a lot of producers to actually move us away from using some of these substances simply because there's more money in producing plastics. So this is the issue. I mean, um, you know, the other thing about it, I see constantly this discussion of life cycle analysis, where life cycle analysis is great, but often the emphasis is on, you know, resource use, emissions, things like this. But I can't help feeling that if you've got a kidney dish that's made of stainless steel, and it'll probably outlast all of us, and you've got a plastic kidney dish, and you use possibly, you know, thousands of them over the same period, surely the life cycle or the total environmental impact has got to be less using a stainless steel kidney dish. You know, do I have the statistics for this? No, but I, I just can't help feeling that's true. So the whole thing about it is, the other thing is we also, 6% of total petroleum is diverted to making plastics. So if we actually divert you know, away from using that finite resource, which also has a bunch of other nasty side effects. 
we're obviously going to reduce our environmental impact that way as well. So the other thing is finally what we need to do is, as it says there, more R&D. We need to find different ways and different materials to use particularly in healthcare. So finally we need to close the loop and like I said it's that whole thing we need to find a substance that we can recycle, it becomes waste, we recycle it, we make exactly the same product. Otherwise all we're really doing is downcycling, ultimately ends up in the environment. Zero waste processes. I talk to people at work about zero waste. People kind of you know, have a bit of a chuckle. The whole thing about it is maybe not in clinical, clinical's a bit of a tricky one, but certainly in general waste there is the possibility to have a zero waste situation, even in hospitals. So, like I said, a move to a truly circular economy. All right. So, the other thing is people were talking about, you know, um, you know getting pushed back or it's, it's difficult to, to get things up. I was, I, when I was looking up, you know, plastics, I came across this story about these two sisters in, in Indonesia. Now, I've only been to, to Bali once, but I noticed that there was quite a bit of plastic around. Um, and so they saw the same thing and they decided to do something about it. So they petitioned the government, they uh, did their own cleanups, but they also went on a hunger strike. And I thought about going on a hunger strike for, for, for waste, but I re realised that I'd probably take about six months to start. So, so you know, it probably wouldn't be that effective. So, um, but the whole thing about it is they were. They actually got the Balinese governor to sign an edict to ban plastic bags in Bali by 2018. So I put that up simply to demonstrate that it is possible. If you, if you really want to do it, it is possible. All right, so we'll now move on to voltage optimization. And the reason I wanted to talk about voltage optimization is it's a technology that I've seen a lot of people starting to look at in hospitals particularly. And so look, I've had a reasonable amount to do with voltage optimization. So I basically just wanted to, to give a slightly more balanced view of voltage optimization because some of the proponents go, oh, it's, it's awesome, it'll just save you a ton of money and a lot of energy. And they don't really talk about the downside, it's kind of look over there, you know. So hopefully over this I'll I'll be able to give you some ideas. So so look, very simply, like I said, there's increased talk about VO, but the whole thing about it is um, there are a lot of downsides with VO too, particularly in hospitals. Hospitals are quite unique compared to a lot of the other um, technologies because when you apply to a commercial office space, people come in at 7, finish at 7, there's weekends, all that kind of stuff, whereas hospitals are occupied 24 hours a day and they have some critical infrastructure that you need to look after patients. Now, VA can affect the performance of the systems in your building. So it's quite critical. So basically, what is voltage optimization? Well, very, very simply, your electricity comes into your building possibly around 245 volts. The Australian standard is now about 230, but it used to be 240. But it actually comes in quite a bit higher. And very simply, this box that you put in your basement basically drops the voltage down to whatever you want. So it might be 230, it might be 220. So look, you know, and simply by doing that, you save a lot of energy. But the whole thing about it is, um, whenever you drop the voltage, it has effects on, on, 
a whole vast array of equipment in your building. So it sounds like a good idea, you just drop your voltage and everything's great. And you can save up to 13% of your energy, which is quite a substantial amount of energy and, and emissions. But the whole thing about it is they, they don't really tell you about the downside. So what are the effects? So when you drop voltage on anything, it fundamentally affects the way that piece of equipment behaves. So, for instance, motors run more slowly because you're running less electricity through them. Heaters take longer to heat, all those kind of things. And the whole thing about it is when you drop fans, so, for instance, air conditioning uses a fan to drive air into, into the room space. The whole thing is you drop that fan speed, people breathe CO2 out, you're not getting enough fresh air in, you know, I, I don't know whether I want to be in a room with a doctor who's starting to get a bit drowsy. You know what I mean? So, like, people don't really think about, you know, yeah, uh, it, it could be interesting. So, you don't really want these kind of things happening in your hospital. And a lot of people don't really be, seem to be highlighting these, these issues. So, for instance, I'll... Um, yeah, here we go. So, look, you know, very simple, just a very quick example about hot water, for, for example. And this is mainly to do with the environmental, the, the energy saving side of things. So, you've got a three kilowatt hot water system, you drop the voltage down, it becomes about 2.4. Now, I think anybody, even without, you know, an engineering degree, can work out that if you've got less heat going through that system, it's going to take longer to heat the hot water. And if you've got a thermostat that's actually driving it, all it's going to do is run for longer. So while it might seem like you, you've dropped your energy, it just means that the hot water system runs continuously because it's not as hot. So you're not actually actually saving any energy and you're not saving any emissions. So like I said, you know, the voltage optimisation people kind of raise, oh, you'll just save 13%, but you, you don't really, not on a lot of the systems. So, so, for instance, um, LEDs, unaffected by voltage optimisation. Computers. Computers actually have transformers, as we all know. Comes in, drops the voltage from you know, 230 down to about 15. Completely unaffected by voltage optimisation. Uh, scanning equipment, so um, CRIs. The whole thing about it is they need to control their voltage really closely, sorry, MRIs, um, need to control their voltage really closely, completely unaffected. So the whole thing about it is, you now, if you take all those groups together, you're probably talking about 50% of your load. So what used to be 13% is now six and a half. So what can you do about it? So basically when people come to visit you and they go, mate, I've got this great thing, it's called voltage optimization. Shave 13% off your thing, mate, it's awesome. Just put it in there. Ask them some tricky questions and also ask them to do an audit of your building or of the equipment. You know, because these things aren't cheap either. So ask them to do an audit of your site. Ask them to work out which parts or equipment will be affected by this and which equipment will be adversely affected. In other words, stop working. And then make sure you've got an ironclad guarantee because a lot of the time they'll, they'll come with this performance guarantee where they'll say, we'll just pay the difference. But once it's in there, you can't take it out. So you've got to make absolutely sure. So look, just wanted to give a heads up on VO because like I said, there's a lot of promotion of it going on at the moment. So look, you know, I've, I've been pretty dark and pretty gloomy, so 
I thought I'd actually kind of lighten the, the end of it with a rush by going National Energy Action Plan. And of course, you know, it's nothing without an acronym. So, you know, I've got to have a NEEP, you know. So anyway, so look, you know, this is probably a good news story. I mean, it is a good news story. Um, so the good thing about it is last time we presented, um, the National Energy Action Plan and all that kind of stuff was, I, I had this idea, but it was still pretty much an idea. And literally in about the last five months, has gone from a great idea to reality. So the whole thing about it, I'm, I'm obviously pretty happy chatting about that. So the whole thing about it is um, the board basically went to the board as a business case in December, basically went through. So chairman of the board, who I didn't even think knew I existed, basically went, you know, love it. Took two minutes to go through the finance committee and about five minutes to go through the board. And basically, yeah, here Matt, here's $20 million, off you go. So, I mean, it's just madness, you know. So, um, so in addition, they also said, I said, you can't do it if you can't measure and verify. You know, and they go, oh Matt, you know, here, have some more money. Go off and sit, put some submeters in. So we're submetering our little heads off. So all our buildings, approximately 60, are all being submeted specifically so I can show them before and after, because I think as Trish said, if you can't demonstrate the outcome, I, I used to have FEMs actually kind of do lighting upgrades, and I go, so what's the difference? And they go, oh, I, I don't know. And I go, what, what do you mean you don't know? He goes, I don't know, I know they work. Yeah, they save some energy. I think the bill's a bit lower, you know, it's all good. And I go, no, you, Two slides, I'm doing it So anyway, so you, you, you really, you know, and I just go, no nah, guys, if you want to engage, you know, the executive, and Chris said the same thing, it's all about the money. You need to go, used to be X, it's now Y. So if you don't measure and verify, you're pretty much lost. So yeah, so very simply, um, I'm just rush through. So we've got five national tenders out at the moment. Um, solar hot water, PV, uh, solar panels, um, power factor correction, VO and lighting and voltage optimization. And I know you're probably going, but Matt, you just said VO sucked. What are you doing putting it in your thing? And the whole thing about it is you just got to do it right. If you do it right and you put in a lot of safeguards, VO is a, a reasonable technology. You just got to make absolutely sure. So, yeah, so basically there's, of those, there's eight core technologies. So, as I said, lighting, VO, uh, building management um, software to control air conditioning, solar hot water, energy valves, I won't go into that, it's a very long story. Um, Plug-wise, really good stuff, basically an addressable switch, put it between any piece of equipment and you can kind of turn them off independently. So for instance, one of our hospitals has a lighting circuit that literally runs the length of the floor. So you, can, you can't actually separate, you know, storerooms or something from that lighting room. So you plug these between the lights just in the storeroom, put a switch on the wall, independent. Separates it out, put a prox sensor, so you walk into that room, it comes on, walk out, turns off. Whereas to do that physically, to chop all the wires and put it separately, it costs you thousands. So nice cheap way of getting around that. So look, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So end result, we're looking at a reduction of around 39,000 tonnes. 38 million kilowatt hours per year, you know, good stuff. Um, 
That's about a, over a third reduction in our total footprint, both emissions and electricity, and a return of about six to seven million dollars a year, and so a return on investment, obviously three, three into um, seven into twenty equals you know, a bit less than three. So doing really well. So look, the whole thing about it is, I kept thinking why I got up, but it kind of sells itself. So look, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Thank you very much.